watch this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson. We're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweet. I'm looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond, James. Yeah, I definitely am, Rob. And I think first things first, we need to say we're back on the normal time. <laughs> so no more of this mess about not being able to do the correct reviews because of recorded issues. We're back. The show's coming to you as normal. Everything should be going according to plan. So, yeah. Hopefully this is good for the viewers. Good times, good times, James. And we're ready to talk all things sport. And we'll kick off with the boxing, James. There's an incredible scenes last night as an Australian dog beat a pound-for-pound pound great to become the undisputed lightweight champion. Tell us all about that. I cannot believe this one, Rob. I thought George Cambosos was a good fighter. Me and Paul talked about this last week. We thought he was ferocious. We thought he'd give it absolutely everything. We thought he was saying all the right things, doing all the right things. But ultimately, his skill level wouldn't be quite good enough to compete with Teofimo Lopez. But boy, were we wrong. He put the Honduran superstar down in the first round, en route to winning every single belt in the lightweight division. And yes, he went down himself in the 10th round, but he saw out the fight and he was absolutely brilliant. And now he can name his price. There's no rematch clause in that contract. So George Cambosos is officially the man in the lightweight division and potentially solidifies himself as the greatest Australian boxer of all time. Because I can't think of another who's held all four belts. I mean, there's so many fights ahead of him. Does he want to get in with Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia? Jojo Diaz, Javante Davis, Shakir Stevenson. There's so many names for this Australian underdog. And one thing we need to talk about, Rob, is the fact that nobody gave him a chance going into this one. And he ignored everybody. He believed in himself. He backed himself. And there's nothing more impressive than that because it's that self-belief that got him the win last night. I think he could be incredibly proud of his achievements. What happens to both men now, Jay? There's no rematch clause, as I say, Rob. So Tiafimo Lopez, who was, you know, the undisputed king and had just come off a win against Lomachenko, he's right at the bottom of the pile because he's not getting a shot again. Why would George Kambosos give him the fight? There's absolutely no need for it. He's beat him. So I wouldn't if I was him. I'd move on to bigger fights against Devin Haney, against Ryan Garcia. I mean, Ryan Garcia would be my number one pick because he's the money man in this division. Or arguably Javonta Davis as well. I don't believe he's got a promotional deal, actually, with with any major promoter. So this could be an opportunity to go with Eddie Hearn. I know he's trying to launch in Australia now, bring DAZN over to there. So that could be a good option for George Kambosos because he could be headlining shows there, no problem. And I think with the emergence of the likes of Jeff Horn, of the likes of Tim Zhu, and of the likes of, you know, even Paul Gallen, people might not like that in the hardcore boxing sphere, but, I mean, he's selling tickets. Australia is becoming a bit of a hotbed for these big pay-per-view fights, and George Cambosos could be the guy selling tickets. As for Tiafimo, he's got to work his way up again. As he was emerging up the hill, he was fighting absolutely everybody in his way to become a world champion, and he needs to get that mindset back, because he looks a little bit ragged last night. He didn't look like the same man who fought Lomachenko. And yes, that, that could ultimately be down to the fact that Kambosos was just better than him. But at the same time, I feel like TFIML could put a little bit more into training camp. And if he does that, he'll be a world champion again in the future because he's still a massive talent. By the time the show goes out, James, Amir Khan and Kel Brook would have been announced. Is this as big a fight as it was five years ago? It's difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, no, I suppose. I mean, saying that, it's probably not difficult to say. Say no, it's absolutely not as big a fight as it was five years ago. Kel Brook and Amir Khan, I think, in 2015, Brook was an undefeated IBF champion of the world. 
Amir Khan was on a fantastic winning stretch that featured the likes of Chris Algieri and Devin Alexander and other great fighters. And it seemed like that was the point when the rivalry was at its hottest point, when it could have potentially sold out Wembley, where you should have done that fight. And for me, Rob, I'll be honest, Amir Khan never seemed keen. He never really wanted it. And I feel like now he's taking it because he believes Kell Brooks passed his sell-by date. Amir Khan, yes. Also, probably not at his best, but he's never had great punch resistance. And I think against Terence Crawford, he didn't look far removed from how, he ha- how he's always looked. So I actually think Amir Khan's closer to his prime than Kell Brook, because against Cal- uh, Terence Crawford, the Sheffield man looked good for three rounds, but he went down off just a little sort of little check cut, not the biggest shot in the world. And it looked to me as if Brooks' punch resistance is no more. So it's not the biggest fight it was. It's going to feel extremely sad for whoever loses this because they're not losing this massive fight anymore. They're just losing in what is essentially them securing the last payday of their career. So it's going to be tragic for whoever loses this. But ultimately, once they start talking, once they're under the bright lights, I think everybody will still tune in for a slice of the Amir Khan Kelbrook pie. Getting me old uh, crystal ball out here, James. Uh, Tyson Fury. <laughs> Um, Anthony Joshua, could this be like Amir Khan and Kell Brook? Could that be a similar kind of thing five years down the line? Because they seem to want to avoid each other now, but five years down the line, it might happen. It might just be similar. Yeah, it's sort of. I mean, this Brock Carr fight is just a repeat of Junior Witter, Ricky Hatton. Hmm. But at one point, would have been this amazing domestic fight. And Ricky Hatton, similarly to Amir Khan, was a global superstar. And Junior Witter and Kell Brook were the sort of the hardcore boxing fans know how good they are. And the fights, for whatever reason, just never happened. And I hope that doesn't happen with Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua. I mean, if the arbitration case hadn't gone through with Deontay Wilder, then we would have got Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua. It would have been a mega, mega fight. Everybody would have tuned in. And the fact that Alexander Usyk is probably going to beat Anthony Joshua again, and Fury has to get through another opponent and then fight Alexander Usyk, it is looking far removed. And if it's going to happen, it's at least two or three years away. So... As you say, Rob, we're running out of time and we don't want it to come too late. There's a big ma- big rematch on Saturday at the Copper Box Arena, isn't there, James? Yeah, the most certainly is. Anthony Yard versus Lyndon Arthur. A great fight in the light heavyweight division. Lyndon Arthur shocked the boxing public when he schooled Anthony Yard at points in the last fight. Yard, of course, believed he won the fight, but I think most felt that the Manchester man probably did enough. And now he travels to London to give Yard his rematch. I expect Arthur to win again. I think his boxing ability is leaps and bounds above Yard. And if he can get on that jab and fight to his full ability, because I don't believe he even did that last time because he was one inexperienced and two carrying an injury. So I think Lyndon Arthur is going to be even better this time. But there is a case that maybe maybe the Londoner un, uh, underestimated him last time. So maybe he could come in better. But ultimately, whoever wins this fight goes on for me for a light heavyweight world title shot because Callum Johnson and Joe Smith Jr. is set to be announced not too shortly for January. And if that fight goes down, and in particular, if Callum Johnson wins, then there's a world title belt in that Frank Warren stable. And there's about three or four light heavyweights who can battle it out in a sort of round wobbly tournament. We can create some legendary all-British matchups. So, as I say, final prediction, I think Lyndon Arthur wins, but it wouldn't shock me if Anthony Yard caught him. And then Callum Johnson, provided he beats Joe Smith, we get some great fights off the back of that. Lucas Brown returns to action in his hometown, home country against farm Australian champion. Can he get the win? I mean, it's difficult, Rob, isn't it? I want to say yes. All my heart wants to say that Lucas Brown can beat Diango on Saturday on an undercard in Australia. But I don't think he will. 
and that's yeah. horrible. But I mean, Lucas Brown was amazing that night he beat Ruslan Shagiev, and he gets absolutely zero credit for it, and it angers me because at one stage Lucas Brown was a very good fighter because he beat Rudenko, he beat Richard Towers, he beat yes a faded, but he still beat James Tony. He was a great, great man. But when he returned off the ban and fought Dillian White, I think he lost absolutely everything. I think the mental state he went into in that fight was completely wrong. And I think he got beat up so badly that it took something out of him. And I don't think he's got anything left. And I think if you're losing in the in the first round to Paul Gallant, a rugby player, when you used to be a world champion, questions need to be asked. And he's been making excuses for that fight, like shots were landing on the back of the head. And they were, Rob. Paul Gallant did land some shots in the back of Lucas Brown's head, but ultimately, Brown should never have been taking those shots in the first place. He's a former world champion. He should have been able to stop a rugby player in the first round. If you're not able to do that, it shows that you're well and truly past your best. So, with sincere regret, I think Lucas Brown loses to this former Australian challenger on, champion on Saturday. And I just hope it's not too bad. But, I think it'd be fantastic if he could get a big win. And I'd hope that he'd retire off the back of it, but I don't think that he will. There's also a big lightweight fight in the States for people to get excited about in the James. Yeah, there is, just coming off the back of George Cambosos and Tiafima Lopez. That huge upset. Jojo Diaz, we tried to cause an upset. I wouldn't say the same proportions, but still a big one coming up from the weight class below. Devin Haney's got all the hype in the world. Max Schumer behind him, forcing him down our throats, claiming that this man is a world champion. This man is the best thing since sliced bread. I don't necessarily believe so. He received his world title belt via email. He didn't win it in the ring. So I'm not particularly sold on Devin Haney. He uh, struggled past an ancient Jorge Linares. I think he should still get the win against Jojo Diaz, but it's how he does it. If he looks impressive, I'll start to give the man credit. But Jojo Diaz has caused upsets in the past. So I'm hoping he can do the same again this weekend. Lastly, what do you think about the controversial Jake Paul and Tommy Fury press conference? I mean, I don't know how much of this you've seen, Rob. Uh, <laughs> bits of it are extremely controversial. I mean, I have to try and allude to some of the things John Fury says without being able to say them outright on radio. But he sort of alluded to the fact that after the fight, uh, Tommy would perform certain acts on Jake Paul's girlfriend. So it got a lot of controversy. I think that's the most... Uh, PC and, and uh, <laughs> mature way of phrasing that. Yeah. But yeah, obviously it was a lot more graphic the way John Fury described it. But anyway, uh, some, some boxing fans are finding this amusing. Some others are finding this uh, extremely offensive. So I suppose it's whatever way you see it. But ultimately, this is trash talk. Uh, John Fury and Jake Paul went to war more so than Tommy Fury and Jake Paul did to war at that press conference. And I think Jake Paul struggled with the delivery of John Fury because he's got this certain charisma that just... just comes off him it just radiates around him and every line he delivers just just makes you laugh because it, it, it's just got, he's got brilliant comedy deliverance it's like seeing a prime peter k to be quite frank with you the way he's <laughs> delivering these lines but uh but yeah this uh, the pair went back and forth jake paul obviously had his fair share of insults with tommy fury tommy fury said some 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 damning things about jake paul as if to say you know i'm not a youtuber I'm not a basketballer. I'm not a retired UFC fan. You're going to get in the ring with a, a real boxer. When I knock you around your long jaw, as he, as he, uh, as he put it, uh, you're going into next week. Uh, a worrying element of this fight, roughly, is that Jake Paul has refused VADA drug testing. 
Right. And obviously we can't make accusations on this show, but there's been a lot of speculation about whether Jake Paul is or isn't on performance-enhancing drugs. Of course, we don't know for sure. He hasn't failed a drugs test, although he has been on limited drug testing, and that could be for whatever reason. But if people are making those assumptions due to the, to the acne that Jake's got in his face now, the fact that his body's got a lot bigger, his new and defined jawline, his back, things like that. So it, it, it's not an outlandish thing for, for the theories to want drug testing in this fight. So the fact that Jake Paul is giving it them is a bit worrying so it's just another thing that Tommy has to battle against in this stack that's weighed against him that you know the commentators and the judges and the fact that he's going to his back garden the fact that he's going to give up so much weight and the fact that there's also not drug testing it's not great for Tommy he's fighting against the cars but I'm led to believe that he knocked out four sparring opponents last week that's from sources so that's good so it shows that he's sharp and he's looking good however as you sent me a message on Twitter the other day, he's been struggling with a cold, Tommy. That's not ideal. His mum's been ill. That's not ideal. He's not been able to train with his, his, his correct uh, trainer, Sugar Hill Stewart, because he's been over here. So the whole camp isn't going as smooth sailing as you want it to. But you're hoping that Tommy Fury is just leaps and bounds above Jake Paul and it won't matter anyway. But yeah, it, it is worrying, to be quite frank with you. And uh, from messages that we're hearing from Jake Paul's uh, training team, they're expecting to smoke Tommy. They're not expecting this to be even competitive. I am. I think it's going to be a competitive fight. But I mean, it's just a hard one to call, to be honest with you, Rob. But anyway, it's time to move on to the world of ice hockey. And let's start first things first, Rob. We've only got one game this week to preview. What is it? Yeah, Manchester Storm at home to Guildford. Guildford top of the table, James. So it will be an exciting game down at the Storm Shelter. Uh, Ryan Finney's men will be fired up to take on the league leaders. I'm sure the Storm faithful in the stands will be making plenty of noise uh, to run the boys on. It's going to be exciting. Make sure you can get down there to the Storm Shelter and support them. It's going to be a classic. Yeah, what prediction are we, are we making, Rob? I'm going Storm to win uh, with the home team uh, and the fans at the Storm Shelter making all that noise. I reckon it's going to be 3-2 Storm uh, and Ryan Finney's men dancing off into the night. Yeah, and Adam Brady has been finding the next for Storm over the last few weeks. The fans have got to be happy about that. Yeah, Adam Brady. What have I always said about Storm, James? They need a goal scorer. And this guy is a top, top goal scorer used to play for Kansas City Mavericks. Uh, he scores lots of goals and, and he's just come in at the right time for Storm. With him, Cam Critchlow, Tyson Fawcett and Scott Simmons, there's plenty of uh, goal scoring potential in that Storm forward line and we're hoping they can deliver over the next few weeks and months to come and propel the Storm up the, up the table. So, two results for Manchester Storm uh, this week. Uh, they lost 3-2 away to Dundee on the Saturday. And then at home on the Sunday, they were defeated 5-1 uh, uh, against uh, Glasgow. Two big defeats for Ryan Finney's men. But I'm sure they'll be looking to bounce back uh, next week. The big game against league leaders Guildford. Hopefully they can uh, get a win there and uh, get a bit of momentum going forward uh, in the next few weeks of the season. So that's all the ice, ice hockey chat. And now I'm joined by uh, Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford. Yeah, certainly I'm, Rob. Yeah, looking forward to it. There's plenty to talk about, isn't there? Football and, and rugby league. So, yeah, looking forward to uh, our chat, mate. Yeah, so we'll do, Paul. We'll start with the football and Manchester United. Um, Ralph Ranrick uh, has taken over at Manchester United after Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's departure. Uh, a few weeks uh, of pressure building on the Norwegian uh, has finally told and uh, he's out of a job. 
Yeah, I think, well, the final straw seemed to be, was it the Watford game, the, the yeah. defeat there? Um, it was a bit of a thumping, wasn't it? And, you know, they were totally outclassed in the Manchester Derby, 2-0, but I think it could have been about 5 or 6, couldn't it really? Manchester City um, didn't really get out of second gear, so it's been a been a tough few weeks for, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but that, that, that Watford game was a was a shock, to say the least. I didn't expect uh, Watford to, to, to beat Manchester United by that sort of scoreline, so, yeah, I think it's been coming, Rob. I think he's been coming for a while, hasn't he? You know, people have been mentioning, you know, he's not the right man and this, that and the other, but, you know, the Give United some credit. They, they've kept faith with him and you know tried to turn things round. But you look at the, the table at the moment. I mean, before the fixture against Chelsea at the weekend, they were about ninth in the table going into that clash, and, and that's not that's not good enough for Manchester United. When you see some of the sides that are above them in the table at the moment, those sides have got nowhere near the the sort of resources and, and money that Manchester United have got and the clout that Manchester United have got. So you know, I think it was probably time for it for a, a change, wasn't it? I mean. I'm not one of these people that presses that panic button. You know, I, I like to see you know managers given time and things like that. But I don't know. The Premier League is totally different to the sport I watch in rugby. League. The Premier League is a cutthroat business, and, and managers don't seem to get time anymore, do they? So I think Ollie's probably had a decent amount of time, to say the least, and he's uh, he's not really come up with with the goods in the, in recent weeks. Yeah, I think the problem with Manchester United's Oli or Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United is uh, countering football. They like to sit and not let uh, teams get onto him. But the, the problem with that, Paul, if you're going to say you give up possession and you give up territory, and the way obviously if you play that way, if you aren't hundred percent committed defensively and have the skills and ability to make them blocks when needed, you will get found out. And that is what happened, I think, for this Man United team under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They weren't able to control games. The likes of Man City and Liverpool and Chelsea are able to sort of manipulate the ball and keep possession and allow the teams get tired. And Manchester United weren't able to do that. I know it's the tactics for Ole. Ole is the man who makes the tactics at Manchester United uh, at the time. And uh, really didn't think it suited us, uh, which was a, which was a big problem. Uh, but like I say, he, he's gone now. He played 100. He had 168 games at Manchester United. He won 91. He drew 37, and he lost five. That's a 54 win uh, rate, win rate, win rate percentage. Paul uh, only second uh, to Mourinho with 58 since Alex Ferguson had retired. So it, to say he, he failed, I think is is a bit too far. Um, but he, he wasn't good enough to be. He wasn't good enough. Really, end of the day, was it the players? Was it him? Uh, we'll have to. We'll have to sort of have a look at that and think about that in the future. Yeah, I think if Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer had time had come sort of a couple of years ago, perhaps he would have kept faith with him. But I think you've struggled now, Manchester United, for that long since Alex Ferguson's departure, and there's been quite a few names who, who've been there and. Try to think, you know, we just named one in Mourinho, Van Gaal's been there, David Moyes, and and one or two others, and it's not worked, has it, for whatever reason, and 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 they've struggled, and, and at this moment in time, you know, mid table in the Premiership, as I said before, with the resources that they've got, it's not, you know, people's expectations at Manchester United are a lot higher than that, aren't they? So people have to make decisions, and and they've made this decision now to bring um, the chap in from 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 Germany, who I, who I don't know a lot about. I'm not a, a massive football expert, but I, I've I've spoke to people who say he's done wonders over there. He's got a really good reputation. A lot of the German managers, including like sort of Jurgen Klopp, look up to him. So is this guy going going to be? You know the savior of Manchester United. Is he going to be a coach, or is he going to be somebody that's up above and and they bring somebody else in underneath him? I'm not too sure of how that's going to work. You'll probably be able to advise me better than the, than my knowledge. Yeah, 
it's basically he's called Ralph Randrick. Uh, Paul. Uh, he's German, like you said. He's ex Schalke, ex Hoffenheim, ex late Leipzig. Um, he he is quite successful in German football. He is the nickname in the professor because of his tactical knowledge. Um, he. He pioneered the Gengen Press, which is basically the same kind of football the likes of uh, Pep Guardiola and, and Jurgen Kopp play, where everyone presses from the front. And he was the, the, the pioneer of that uh, in, in his career in Germany. So it will be interesting to see how he can adapt at Manchester United, because a lot of times, if you look at the stats, United's players um, are towards the bottom of distance covered uh, during games. They don't really run around a lot, but you wouldn't run around a lot if you're your tactic is to sit behind the ball. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how these players can uh, react to that change uh, because if, obviously, they play in a different way and you're having to a bit more, uh, you might get a bit more tired and then your skill levels might drop. So it will be fascinating to see how these players adapt to that change, the likes of Ronaldo and Cavani. Because don't forget, Ronaldo's no spring chicken. Cavani's no spring chicken either. So they won't be wanting to run around you know, game in, game out, because physically they're not able to do it. Even though Cristiano Ronaldo is still seen as a specimen, he might be able to do it for one game, but he's definitely not be able to do it for 38. So it will be interesting to see how the older players can fit into this system. He certainly will. It'll be interesting to see what sort of effect, you know, he has on the side because we see it a lot, don't we? You know, new coaches come in with new ideas and you get, you say it to me, don't you, the new coach bounce and, you know, that sort of energy that that somebody new brings to a side as well. So there's no doubt that there's some good players at Manchester United. What sort of effect they'll have on the, the January transfer window, whether he'll want to bring his own players in and, you know... Um, you know, at his own um, sort of stamp on the side. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure he will do. So it's going to be an interesting few weeks now, leading up to to January. And obviously, we've got the, the sort of December fixtures where it's very, very busy, isn't it? You know, with uh, with competitions and, and matches coming here, there, and everywhere. So it's going to be a real, real tough time for him. So, you know, a big test awaits, and I'm sure the Manchester United supporters are excited uh, at the challenge in front of them. Yeah, and obviously he he is sort of a temporary coach till the end of the season and then he goes into like a consultancy role upstairs Paul which is great because obviously you need that philosophy uh, in your club and he will bring that he will start with that first team he will say listen lads we want to play this way and he will put the structures in place for the next to- next coach to come in be that Paracino or, or somebody else who might be lurking in the wings we don't know who, who Manchester United are after uh, to be the permanent Culture, uh, head coach of Manchester United uh, but uh, he will put his philosophy in and I'm sure he will be part of the selection process when choosing the next guy Yeah and I, and I think with the reputation that he's got the next guy that, that Manchester United do bring in you know it, it's going to be a big draw having him there and the new coach is going to look there and think, well, I've got this this guy to work with, this this guy who's got a fantastic reputation, or the professor who's not earned that for, for nothing. So that's going to be a big plus for Manchester United as well, because they've got somebody upstairs who's going to sort of be the godfather of it all, looking over it all. And then obviously for a, obviously a younger coach or, or, or whoever they've got earmarked to come in, I'm pretty sure that the, the people in the hierarchy at Manchester United will have a shortlist drawn up. There's no doubt about that. I'm sure they've got targets and things like that. But this, this building block that they're putting in place, 
pace now is uh, is definitely something for the long run, isn't it? You know, to to get them playing a different way and uh, the first cog in, in in the wheel, if you like. So exciting times, and I think I think a change needed needed to happen, didn't it, Rob? You're a you're a big Manchester United supporter, aren't you? And you obviously know a lot more about them than me. But we, we've spoke before, haven't we, about it recently? And, and I think you know a change probably was was the right decision. It is. You're right, right there, Paul. Change was needed, but for me, it doesn't matter who is in the co- in the coaching area. It's about your players, and for me, there's, there's players. I say this every week on the Sports Zone. Um, there's players in that squad and that team who aren't good enough to play for Manchester United, and it doesn't matter who your coach is, unless you have to, unless you can recycle uh, the 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 dead wood in that in that squad and bring in players who are be- technically better. Uh, Paul, we won't get any better. You're hoping that you know people come in, the new coach comes in, are able to sprinkle a bit of magic. But for me, they've got to look at the transfer windows at Christmas and the end of the year because, there's, like I say, there's three or four players in there who, for me, when the pressure is on, I don't do it. And it's not the Man United way. Every player who wears that red shirt for Manchester United should be a player and be able to deal with playing at the highest, highest level and the pressures that come with it. Um, so hopefully the new managers will be backed by the, the, the Glazers and the board, be given some money to purchase some good players like the likes of Kante um, for, for, from Leicester um, and other you know central midfielders um, in that in that area like Declan uh, Rice from West Ham who, who are holding midfielders who can play. So if you can get a couple of them in uh, and we can build from there because going forward, we're tremendous. We've got goals. We've got skill. It worries that midfield and, and defensive area that where Manchester United are weak. And the, and the, if they're going to play this way, this gang and, pre, gang and press way, which is what you know they want to want to do, they want to copy the likes of Man City uh, and Liverpool. If they want to do that, te- they need better technical players in that sort of back third of the pitch because if you can't play teams will pressure and you will lose the ball and if you're going to lose the ball 5 meters from your own from your own goal it's only got, it's only going to end in one uh, one way and that's going to be a goal for them so it's going to be very interesting to see you to bring in it certainly is and i think like when you were saying there about that back third of the pitch i mean we we know manchester united have got some quality players going forward but that that sort of back bit, part of the pitch and, and sort of your midfield where you're talking about there that's your engine room that's yeah. where everything starts and that's where you've got to build from so if you've not got that right and you're conceding goals and you're not keeping a ball and, and whatever you can score you can score goals and be as, as much flair as you want but you're not going to win championships because you've got to be consistent at the back haven't you so you know the, the great Manchester United sides of the sort of the 1990s that, that we grew up watching and you know, they they always had the engine room, didn't they? Like Roy Keane in there and, and people like that who who led from the front front and, and and put the fear into other teams. So perhaps that's what Manchester United need now. You know, need need that. And there's, there's players there that you've mentioned that they could be targeting. So I, I think they'll be busy in the in the upcoming transfer windows, definitely. Yeah, you don't win championships, Paul, by beating teams five 0 at home. You win championships by beating like Leicester one 0 away by nicking a goal when it didn't look like it was going to come. That's what championship teams do. That's why Man City win championships. That's why the great teams like Liverpool win championships because they always used to grind out results when it mattered and they had solid defenders and they had good, you know, centre forwards who could score goals. And if you can get a mix of that, you know, you're going back to the title winning teams uh, of the third years. 
Yeah, certainly. I, I, I think Manchester United can turn it round. I, I'm pretty sure they can. And you know, I think, as I said before, this is the the first sort of building block now going forward. Bringing uh, bringing a man in from Germany. I think you know the knowledge he's got. It's, it's going to start the process and, uh, you know, the process needs to be started somewhere and, and it's starting there with him. Yeah, so look at the results from, from this week, uh, Paul. Uh, Man City uh, beat West Ham 2-1 at home. Uh, good result for Pep Guardiola's men. West Ham are, are challenging that top, sort of t- top three, top four of the Premier League. So to get a home win against the Irons uh, was a good result. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and West Ham have been going really well. They had another good result in in the week, didn't they? In Europe, I think Rapid Vienna. I think they won over there, didn't they? That's not, not an easy place to go. So David Moyes has, has got his side playing some consistent football, hasn't he? I know they were beaten a few weeks ago at Wolves, but other than that, they've they've been pretty consistent over the last last month or two. So West Ham are right up there in the table, and Manchester City, yeah, in the snow at, uh, at the Etihad, they uh, tuned it up there. I think West Ham scored late on, so a good result for Manchester City, and it keeps that pressure on at the top of the table. Obviously, with with Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, um, you know two fantastic managers going sort of toe to toe at the top of the, the top of the Premier League. Uh, it's always exciting to, to 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 see who will will come out on top. Uh, but like I said before, you know West Ham would have been a potential potential banana skin for for Pep. So so it kind of proves my point that if you win games like this, it gives you a chance of uh, of winning the title. Yeah, it certainly does. And Manchester City, you know, defence is pretty solid, isn't it? And they're a decent home side, aren't they? But they're pretty good away from home as well. They nick a lot of points away from home. I know they were beating at home to Crystal Palace a couple of weeks ago in a, in a real shock game. But they, they have been very consistent this season. Liverpool, the, the weekend, another excellent result. And, you know, that City needed to win that game against West Ham to keep that pressure on because you lose a couple of games or drop a few points here and there, then you, you're sort of staring behind you know, up the table and at Liverpool who have been very, very good so far. So, uh, you know, Chelsea as well. So, it's looking good. I think it's going to be a fantastic title race, you know, going into the sort of spring spring months there in, in 2022. There's, you know, you've got three or four sides there who are going to be going for it all guns blazing. Yeah, looking at uh, Manchester United, they were away at Chelsea, uh, drew 1-1, uh, Paul. Uh, Jadon Sancho with a goal for Manchester United. Um, good result. Obviously, Chelsea top of the table. Uh, you need to win your games, especially against the, the, the big teams like who are around you. It's more psychological, I think. So, uh, for Chelsea to drop points uh, gives everybody a bit of a boost. I think so. I think if you'd have asked Manchester United supporters before the game, if they take a draw at Stamford Bridge, I think they probably would 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 have bit your hand off. To be honest, the way Manchester United have been playing and the way Chelsea have been playing, they've been pretty irresistible of, of recent weeks. So, yeah, a good result. It's sort of halted the the, the rot, if you like, and uh, a confidence boosting result. You know, to, to go down there and get a point, probably not the prettiest performance, but it's a start and it's a building block, as I've said before. So you've got to start somewhere. So now they've got that result there. Now it's up to start looking up the table now and, and, and moving forward over the next few weeks. Yep. Jaden Sancho, the the, uh, the goal scorer for United, scored in Europe at midweeks or today. A lot of people were questioning whether he was good enough, whether he's like found his level now. Uh, but two goals in two games, two good performances as well, uh, shows that it's going in the right direction. Certainly does, and we've said it, you know, loads of times in the sports zone. We've spoke about strikers at Manchester City and Manchester United, and we, we've mentioned about confidence and and, and them getting getting the goals. And you know, once you once you do start scoring goals, your confidence is going to build, isn't it? So yeah, it's great that goal in the midweek, as you said, and another good performance today. And uh, yeah, 
you know, he keeps scoring goals there, and I'm sure he'll 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 settle down with the supporters and become a favourite there. So, you know, you're a striker, you score goals, you you you're you're going to be loved, aren't you? So, uh, so yeah, another good performance today. Yeah, and obviously Michael Carrick. Uh, two games, two wins. Uh, a lot of United fans were worried that he'd get on a run and suddenly he'd get a contract to say, can you do this, do what Oli did for over the next three years? And we probably didn't want that in this uh, time of his career. No, I think for him, he's just got to do the, the job that's in front of him now. It's an old cliche about taking each game as it comes, but he'll have to assess you know, what he wants to do in the future, what Manchester United want to do. But if I was Michael Carrick, I'd just enjoy it. You know, it's a, it's a great opportunity. It's, it's experience because I'm sure he's going to want to be a manager, you know, you know, number one in the future. And whether that's at Manchester United or wherever it is, this experience he's getting now is going to really stand him in, in good stead going forward. So who knows who will be the Manchester United manager in this time 12 months? We, we don't know, do we? So uh, Michael Carrick's just got to sort of um, plot the map that's in front of him now and uh, and just see where it takes him. Yeah, sorry, it wasn't two wins. It was one win, one draw. A draw draw against Chelsea, top of the league, feel like a win. Well, I thought that, Rob. Yeah, I thought it was a bit (laughs) wishful thinking from me there. But no, as I said before, I think Manchester United supporters would have have taken a draw all day long today. Chelsea have been in tremendous form, haven't they, recently? So to go down there, not an easy place to go. Especially with all the turbulence that's been going on at Manchester United and you know the ups and downs of the season so far, to get that result on the back of a you know a tough tough result in, in Europe in the week, it's been a good week for Michael Carrick and Manchester United. Yeah, uh, looking at the other uh, result from uh, our local side, Salford City, they were involved in a derby against Oldham. They won two nil. Uh, good win uh, for the Amis. Certainly is, yeah. I mean, they're about five points off the playoffs at the moment. It's a tight league that you've got Rochdale as well, another local side there. I think a level on points with Salford and Salford just slightly above on goal difference. Oldham Athletic, another sort of derby side for us in this local area there. Really struggling, aren't they, down in the bottom two in the table. Mm-hmm. So uh, Salford needed that result, but it's a very, very tight division, that league too. Um, with the, with the playoffs and what have you, so you string a string a few wins together. Now they, they can soon sort of pull back that deficit towards the playoffs and and make it. There's an awful lot of games to go so far. They play 46 matches, don't they? 44, 46 matches. So long, long season. Real, real tough long season. So Salford have just got to keep finding that consistency and a good result against Oldham, who've you know struggled this season, but they've they've had a couple of decent results recently. But to, to win a derby game is always a big confidence booster, and it was a good result at the weekend. Yeah, Gary Bowyer's men, Paul, four games undefeated uh, in a run, um, 11th in the league. I suppose they're just in touching distance. Obviously, they need to find another gear. But with Christmas coming and games will come fast, opportunity, if you can pick up wins in that period and you get into January, February next year, in and around the pack, anything can happen. They certainly can. We say this all the time, don't we, about all the leagues. You know, this time of year now, December, November time, leading up to Christmas, it's, it's a real pivotal time. As you said, games come thick and fast and you can put a run of wins together and it can make or break your season. You know, you lose a few and you drop right down, you're really struggling. So if Salford can just, you know, get on that bit of a run now and, you know, a bit of confidence, it, it's tough. It's tough on um, on squads and, and things like that, you know, particularly not, you're not a Premier League side where you've not got a massive squad to, to rely on. It's going to be difficult. You've got the FA Cup as well and other bits of um, trophies. The Johnston's, is it the Johnston's Paint Trophy or the Papa John's Trophy, whatever they yeah. call it these days? You've got that to play as well midweek. So there's that to look forward to as well. So games come thick and fast, but you know Salford are not far off at all now. And as you said, that run that they're on now, Gary Bowie's side seems to be playing with confidence and you know derby victories and a good crowd as well. I think there's about 3,500 there at the weekend. So that's probably one of the best crowds they've had this season, Salford. So that'll be a real big morale boost for them. 
Yeah, looking at the fixtures, uh, Paul, Manchester United uh, on Thursday, they face Arsenal at home. Um, obviously, two good sides. Not the glory days of, of Keane v. Vieira or Ferguson v. Uh, Arsene Wenger. <coughs> but still, you know, Arteta's doing a good job there. They've got dangerous players like Abami Yang. Uh, Manchester United will need to be uh, in tip-top form to get a result there. They certainly will, yeah. But to, as you said, the, the the game at Chelsea's given them an awful lot of confidence. Now there's a bit of expectation there now with with the new man coming in. So uh, that'll be a tough test. Like you said before, I don't think that the Arsenal that they were sort of 20 years ago in the late 90s under, under Wenger, and they've not got that sort of those sort of strong characters that they had. Then you think about the likes of Emmanuel Petit and Vieira and Overmars and people at Burkamp. You, you could read them off, couldn't you? They've never sort of replaced those sort of players, have they? Since uh, since those times, so uh, but still, it's still a difficult side to beat, and it'll be a tough game. Yeah, looking at the league table as we speak, Paul Man United at eighth, Arsenal fifth, five points adrift. So I suppose it's important that United win to close the gap because you do not want to be too far away from uh, the Champions League contenders when the new coach comes in. Well, yeah, and I think you know for Manchester United as a club, if they were to miss out on that Champions League and not get into that top four, it I'm not going to say it's a disaster, but it's a really disappointing season, isn't it? So uh, you, you know you want to be up there in around that challenging. So yeah, th- this is a big game. You, you've got to beat sides in front of you, haven't you? You've got to beat everybody, but the sides in front of you, are just in, you know, like I said, Arsenal there. You've got that point against Chelsea at the weekend, so that's a positive. So yeah, they need another positive result. You know, a few defeats now in the next couple of weeks, and you drag right back down to sort of mid table again, which is where they don't want to be. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a big big game. There's definitely. Yeah, and then they face uh, Crystal Palace on Sunday at home as well. Potential banana skin, uh, Crystal Palace. Uh, Vieira have got them playing well, uh, you know, and they will need to be on the game, Manchester United. I know we talk about got Arsenal coming to town uh, and playing against the better sides and playing well, but like I've said before on the show, uh, you get beat against Palace, you don't win titles. No, that's it, and it's it's the same in in all sports, isn't it? You get the same amount of points for beating whether it's Palace or Real Madrid or, or whatever. You still get three points, don't you? So you've got to be consistent. And I know Crystal Palace have had a good result, as I said before, against Manchester City. They were beaten, I think, at the weekend at home to Aston Villa, weren't they? So um, they, they've been a bit inconsistent. So Manchester United be expecting to win that. You know, they really will. That'd be a disappointing result if, they, if they're not to. So, yeah, it's about finding that consistency now. And, you know, and, and like you said, you were spot on, you know, about the one nils and that. that That's what you've got to do. If you want to challenge and, and be at the top of tables, you've got to get those ugly wins sometimes, haven't you? And, you know, steal the defence. That's what Manchester United was built on, wasn't it? So, uh, so yeah, big week coming up. Yeah, talk about Aston Villa. They uh, face uh, Man City. Man City are away uh, to Aston Villa on on Wednesday. Aston Villa new coach Steven Gerrard's come in, started playing some good football. It will be an interesting tie uh, for, for Pep's men. This is a big test for City. Definitely, you know, since um, Steven Gerrard's come into to Villa, I'm pretty sure they've won both the games I'm sure they won last weekend so they yeah, won two yeah. out of two and they look quite impressive when I saw them I watched a bit of match of the day the other week when I was in the gym they had it on the telly and they, they scored some good goals there at, at Villa Park and you know the place was rocking and they looked like they really got their mojo back so um, that'll be a tough place to go for Manchester City um, who've shown you know the odd frailty this season away from home but you'd expect Pep Guardiola's meant to have too much there but the way you know his confidence in sport they're playing under a lot of confidence under Steven Gerrard now and they've got two wins that'll be a tough game it'll be a good one to watch that on Wednesday night it'll be a, I'm sure Villa Park will be packed to the rafters and they'll really be getting behind their side and that'll be that'll be tough if Manchester City can get three points from that Pep will be delighted 
And then they're away at Watford on the Saturday. Uh, Watford did a number on Manchester United. All his last game in charge. Uh, Ran Rary, you know, title winner at Leicester. Uh, experienced coach. Real test. Yeah, certainly. They're another funny side, Watford, aren't they? You never quite know what you're going to get. Like I said, with Crystal Palace before, there's there's quite a few teams out of the Premiership at the moment where you're not sure what you're going to get from them. Are they going to come and wallop you like Watford did against Manchester United? Or I think Watford were beaten by, was it seven at Chelsea? And then you know, you never really know where you're up to. So, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be a tough game that uh, for, for City. It's a, it's a tough week, you know, Villa and, and Watford. But the, the two sides you would expect if Manchester City are, you know, on all cylinders to get six points from. And that's the that's the thing. Like I can say Man City are experienced. They've got players there who, who know how to win and the quality players. And they know these next two games are crucial in that, you know, race to the title. If they, if they, can, if they drop points in this period, it's so hard to catch them back up later on. It certainly is. Yeah, it certainly is. Once you get after, after Christmas, really, and you get into January, the... The season, it doesn't seem to last long, does it? Then you, you know, you've got the FA Cup, and you, you if you're a team like City or and United as well, and you're playing in, in the Champions League, you're playing in trophies as well, League Cup, FA Cup. Games are coming thick and fast, and you can't afford to, to lose lose games, can you? And you know, you've got like of Liverpool who look at the moment to me like a proper well-oiled machine, don't they? At the moment under Jurgen Klopp, they had a thumping win again at the weekend, and they're going to take some stopping out. And you've got Chelsea as well, so it's going to be difficult. You're losing points and dropping points. You're behind the eight ball, so it, you've got to be consistent. You really have got to be consistent. And so far, Manchester City have, have been pretty good. So uh, you'd expect them to get two results this week, but you know, funny things happen in that Premier League, don't they? They do, they do. Uh, talking about um, Salford City, they're in FA Cup action uh, this week. They're at home uh, to Chesterfield. Uh, magic of the Cup, uh, Paul. You're hoping that the Amis can can get a result there. But don't forget, Chesterfield did make a, I think it was an FA Cup semi-final. I think it was against Middlesbrough. Could be 20 years ago now, the Janino years. So they'll, they have, you know, cup magic in the veins. So it will be difficult. 1997 that was yeah they had, a, they had a guy they had a guy playing for Chesterfield called Andy Morris um, uh. he ended up coming to, to Rochdale yeah um, good good guy as well Bruno his nickname used to be I remember <laughs> him at Rochdale but Kevin Davis as well played in that Chesterfield side you remember Kevin Davis yep. he went to Bolton so uh, yeah they had some good players a, a friend of mine who used to work with was a big Chesterfield supporter and lived over there and uh, told me all about those, those, those days that they had they had some cracking days and I think they were pretty unlucky in that, that match as well yep. I think he Ended up a draw and they went to a replay and uh, there was a, a goal that was was never was I think but they were very lucky not to get to Wembley to the final so and at the moment they're um, you know they suffered some hard times recently Chesterfield they dropped out of the football league I think they're in the I think they're in the conference at the moment they're riding high I'm sure they're top of the conference I'm sure they're doing really well this season and getting good crowds as well at their uh, at their stadium so they've got a new stadium that they've got there so um, so that'll be a tough game for Salford you know that they're going to be the the they're sort of the favourites, aren't they, playing against the, the side that's below them. So sometimes that can be tough. Or, you know, it can be a banana skin. You know, Chesterfield have probably not got a lot to lose, have they? And neither have Salford, really. But you want to get through this one and get into that third round and, you know, pick your wits against a Premier League side. You know, you get into that hat and you can draw anybody, can't you? So to me, getting through that second round in the FA Cup's a, a real big one for, for all the lower league sides. Yeah, so good luck to all our sides this week. We'll be talking all about the results uh, next week. Uh, let's talk rugby league now. Paul and Sulphur are Devils. Uh, the new fixtures for 2022 came out uh, for Sulphur and the rest of the Super League teams. What did you make of them? 
Yeah, very exciting. Very exciting when they came out. You know, we was waiting for them, and and, and you do. It's it's the first thing you look out for at the end of sort of November. And uh, yeah, the two French trips. It's good to see them. We've got to lose early doors, haven't we? Play them second game at home, Castleford away. Uh, first games, uh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be freezing cold there in Castleford on uh, on that Friday night in February. We would have thought, but no, I can't wait. And it's great to see all of the games that are on the television as well. And the way it all starts, I think St. Helens play Catalan's first game. That'll that'll be a cracking match. The Easter games look really really good as well. We've got Warrington, haven't we, on the Thursday? I think we've got them, and then Catalan's yeah. on the Monday. So so yeah, really really exciting. Rob, can't wait for it to get started. Now I believe the players are in like the third, fourth, fourth week this week of pre-season training. So you know, before you know it, Christmas will be out of the way and the season will be on its way. But no, really excited for the fixtures. Have you done what all uh, people do? Is look down the fixture list and go win, <laughs> win, lose, win, win, win. Have you already have you done that already? And what was your points total? Uh, no, I haven't done that. The first thing I did was go to the pound shop and oh, a card factory actually, and uh, and buy myself a diary so <laughs> so I can fill all the fixtures. I'm not te- I'm not like digital. I don't do a digital one. I write everything down. So uh, I wrote all them down and sort of work my shifts out. But the place I work now, I don't have to work Sundays, so uh, I'm I'm doing all right and uh, I can use my van for private use. So I should be able to get to quite a few of the matches. So so yeah, I- I'm looking forward to it and. Uh, it's going to be great this season. It really is. You know, with that, that French derby as well, looking at those fixtures at Easter time, you've got Toulouse against Catalans. That's going to be absolutely fantastic, that, you know, to, to see those two going head to head. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it doesn't seem that long ago since the season finished, really, but um, really excited for, for, the, for the new season. It's, uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be tough for Salford. There's no doubt about that, but we'll probably go and talk about, the, about Salford shortly. But the, the signings we've made and the new coach and things like that, there's a... There's an air of expectation, I think, and I spoke to a few people recently. They're sort of excited about what's happening, and you know, people are saying we're going to do this, we're going to do the other. I'm always quite cautious, but you know, slightly excited as well. Looking at the the teams, Paul, in the Super League, I know it was so early; we've not seen any pre-season friendlies yet. Um, anybody standing out for you right now? Well, I think you've got to look at St. Helens, haven't you? I think St. Helens are always there and thereabouts. They have been, you know, for the last 20 odd years in the Super League here. And you look at the conveyor belt of players that they've got there and the talent that they bring through. Um, I think they're going to take some stopping. I don't think they've made wholesale signings, but they always seem to sign one or two, don't they? And, and just just sort of bulk up and strengthen up, but sign quality. So I think the St. Helens will be probably be the team to beat again. Uh, the, the big test for Catalan is can they be consistent again and back up last season's grand final? I hope so. I, I hope they do well again. I think it's great for the game in the south of France with them doing well. Warrington, there's going to be an awful lot of expectation on them. You know, they brought in Daryl Powell as coach from Castle. He was at Castle for a long time. Great reputation, Mr. Powell. And, he, you know, I've seen something this, this weekend. I've been talking at one of the training sessions. He was saying about changing the culture at Warrington. Perhaps that's something that needed doing. So that there's going to be a big expectation on them. Um, Wigan Warriors have, have probably not made the signings that you know, you'd expect them to sign. So are they going to be as good this season? They're always tough to beat Wigan. So I'd expect them to be there or thereabouts. Uh, I'm not too sure. I think Huddersfield are going to be expected to do well. I'm not so sure whether they will. I think it all depends on whether their halfbacks click. You know, they've signed uh, Tuilola here and T.O. Farge coming in there as well. And, you know, so one or two other players as well that have come in, some big names at Huddersfield. And Ian Watson will be looking to do well there. So that that's an exciting one to watch. Toulouse, I think are going to be difficult to beat in the south of France. And, but as I said before, I think St. Helens are going to be the side to beat. And I could have mentioned all the sides there, really. I think it's difficult, isn't it, at the start of the season? You don't really know what's going to happen. But I think Saints will be the side to beat. That's It's easy to say that, but I think it's probably an obvious thing to say. 
Yeah, I I think Wigan will struggle. I think they've not signed anybody of, of quality yet. Uh, and Wigan always need somebody who, who is going to be the man. So f- new coach in place, no superstar coming in. Could be a could be an interesting season for, for Wigan. Yeah, they, I don't know. Under the, the last few years, I think they've not been as sort of flamboyant uh, you know, as they have been over the last few years, I would say. But they've always been there or thereabouts, haven't they? And getting to grand finals and, and not far off. They, they're very robotic and, and difficult to beat, aren't they? And they're always difficult to beat on the home ground. But uh, but no, I've not been impressed with them. And, and people have said that. I know people who watch Wigan. I know a couple of seasons ago was at Wigan and they've not been impressed with them. I, I think they had Jackson Hastings there and, and probably didn't use him half as well as what Salford did and, and, and didn't get the best out of him, really. And he was probably one of the shining lights for them last season. Without him, I think they would have really struggled. So, uh, so yeah, that, you could be right there. I don't know. I think they're one of those sides that you, I always fear writing them off because you, you always think they're going to come and bite you on the backside. But you could be right. I don't think the recruitment's been what you'd expect as a Wigan supporter. You'd be sort of looking for, for, for a bit more than that, I suppose. I mean, another side that always sort of blow the, the trumpet and, and, and make signings is Hull they always seem to make big signings and, and sort of flatter to deceive so I'm not so sure whether they're, they're going to do anything Castleford are they going to feel a bit of a, a hangover from, from Daryl Powell moving on they've got Lee Ratford coming in as well who's had experience at Hull so he'll be looking to, to get back into rugby league and do well so there's there's an awful lot of coaches in the Super League that are going to have a bit of expectation on them so uh, you know, I don't know who the, who the first coach will be to get the bullet, but there's going to be some pressure. There's an awful lot of pressure there, isn't there? You know, those 12, those 12 jobs. And we've just got to hope at Salford that, that it all clicks well for us. You know, with Paul Rowling, Kurt Haggerty and Danny Orr, our sort of coaching uh, trio that are in charge there. We've got an awful lot of potential at Salford, you know, looking at the signings that we've made and, you know, the, the guys that have come over from Australia as well. There's an awful lot of potential. And if we can click, I think we can have a really good season. Yeah, um, the big news in the world of Super League is now it's going to be shown on Channel 4. Uh, 10 live games plus playoff games, Paul. Great to be able to broadcast out to the nation. I know, obviously, with it being on Sky Sports, it's kind of behind a paywall because you need a subscription. So it's great that people from all over the country uh, can watch it for nothing. I think it's fantastic news. When I saw that, I, I thought, wow. That is great news for us. I mean, I can remember sort of 30 years ago as a young kid, then they used to have it on ITV. Um, Clive Tilsley and uh, Rob McCaffrey used to be on ITV. I remember being on the gantry at Salford a few times Saturday afternoon, and, and that was tremendous coverage we used to get then, but it didn't last long for, for one reason or another. So to get it back on Channel 4, terrestrial television, I think it's great for the sport. It gives us a real spotlight there. And, you know, we're always talking about growing the game and growing the game around the country and what have you. And I think this is this is a big way of doing that. You know, not everybody has Sky Sports and, you know, perhaps sometimes we take that for granted. People don't, you know, people can't afford it these days. So if you can get it on on um, on terrestrial telly, I think that'd be great there. And these are going to be big fixtures as well. If you're picking 10, they're going to be like sort of top of the table clashes and sort of the Wigan Saints games, hopefully, and things like that. And then obviously playoff games, like you said, as well. So, yeah, that's going to really whet people's appetite. And if that can spread the game around the country, then it's, it's going to be really good. Yeah, Um our, one of our local sides, Salford City Roosters, opened their new clubhouse uh, this week, Paul. Uh, great for them. Our premier amateur, amateur side in the area have fantastic facilities now uh, to enjoy. Obviously, bringing youth through uh, and having that facility will only help. 
Certainly, yeah, and the pictures looked amazing as well, didn't they? And I'm hoping to get down there for the amateur uh, season next year and, and, and watch a few of the games of our local sides. That's that's one thing I've been trying to do the last couple of years, but for one thing, you know, they work and things like that get in the way normally. But now I've got my new job, I might have a bit, well, I'm not saying I'm going to have loads of time, but hopefully get a bit more time to get down there because it does look a tremendous facility. And as you said, Salford City Roosters, some, some cracking players have come through there over the years and uh, they really are one of our mainstays of, of amateur rugby league in Salford in the local area. So, so, uh, so yeah, I think it's important that Salford sort of Red Devils work with all the amateur sides that like they are doing. You know, we've we've divvied out players to each club, haven't we? And uh, and, and and things seem to be growing. Links seem to be growing. So great, great news that for Salford City Roosters. And uh, yeah, look forward to getting down there next season. Yeah, let's talk about Swinton Lions now. Paul, they have their season launch on the 10th of December. It's at the Swinton Legion, 7.30 start. All welcome. There'll be a coach there. There'll be players there. There's the board there, an update from them. Uh, it'd be fantastic if the Swinton faithful can get down there and, and get information, get support in them, uh, because we're hoping for a big season from them. Well, we've been saying it the last few weeks, haven't we? It's a, it's a massive season for, for Swinton. There's some new sides in that league there, isn't there? A trip to, to Cornwall that they've got to look forward to as well. We've also got some mouthwatering derby clashes. I think the Rochdale Hornets derby is going to be a big one, isn't it, for, for, for Swinton? Um, so, yeah, they, they're going to be one of the favourites. There's no doubt about that. But there's some good sides in in League One. Promise to be a, a, a great league, that really, really competitive. And, uh, and yeah, it's... You know, season tickets have been going well, I believe, for Swinton, and some of the signings they've made have been, have been really good. There's some really good players down down there, and that should be a good night. That you know, I'd encourage any Swinton fan to get down there, get behind the side, and uh, let's hope they do really well this season because it's been it's been a tough tough year last year, but uh, you know, drop down a league now, it's um, you know they're going to be one of the fancied sides. You've got to put the best foot forward now and get a good start to the season, and uh, and I'm sure they're going to be successful. Yeah, fifty seconds to go, Paul. Um... Chris is coming, Salford have brought the new shirts out. Excited about that? Yeah, sponsored by Selco Builders Warehouse as well. I think that's a great sponsor for Salford. Uh, really sort of, um, you know, good company them, aren't they? You mentioned on the radio all the time and the adverts. I listen to Talk Sport a lot and they're always on there. So uh, that's, a, that's a good sponsor for us and the shirts look good as well. Yeah, it's going to be something to build on, Paul. <laughs> it certainly is, yeah, yeah. It's a good one, that boom, boom. Yeah, we'll have to end it there because I don't think we can go any higher uh, after that little joke. So, big <laughs> thanks for tuning in to the Sports Zone on at Salford City Radio this week. Don't forget, you can catch us every Tuesday and Thursday and we'll be talking all things sport in Salford, football, rugby, ice hockey, UFC, boxing and lots more. So, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. 